Hi, everyone. This is Frank Fear, and you're listening to Joey P. and Frank, NFL Week 15 edition. Well, Week 14 was the week of the big comeback, almost. At least three teams, the Ravens, the Steelers, and the Bills, came from way behind and almost, but not quite, pulled off the win. The Ravens surprised me the most, not that they came back. They've been doing that a lot. Uh, to make it close against the Browns. They shut out the Browns in the second half, as many of you know. But it was the way they played things after they collected that onside kick on the Baltimore 41, needing only about 25, 30 yards to get in Tucker's range. Remember, they were down by two, and so a field goal would have won the game. But on first down, they decided to go long to Hollywood Brown, sideline pass, incomplete, and then it was downhill from there. They made the completion on fourth and six, but it wasn't enough, and the Browns win. Well, Joe's season record remains stable at 60%. He's 42-28 and 28 after week 14. He was 3-2 and two last week. He was on the right side with Tampa Bay, San Francisco, and Dallas, but not with Arizona and Baltimore. This week, we're so pleased to welcome back Ken Sins to the program. His photo's on our weekly cover. Ken is editor emeritus of the Dallas Cowboys Weekly, later known as The Star. Joe and Ken go way back, uh, and they will talk today about these Week 15 games, and here is the order of coverage today. We'll start with Pittsburgh, Tennessee, then go on to Buffalo, Carolina, Cincinnati, Denver, Philadelphia, Washington, and we'll end with Green Bay, Baltimore. With that, here's Joe Platania and our guest, Ken Sins. Well, thank you very much, as usual, Frank. Episode number 19, and with me being a Baltimore guy, that number has huge significance around here. And if I have to tell you, well, you know, just kids, ask your parents. Anyway, here we go again, another edition of Joey P. and Frank. We had this guest on earlier in the season, so very, very pleased to have him back, the former editor of the Dallas Cowboys Weekly, Mr. Ken Sins. Ken, thanks so much for being here again. Thanks, Joey. Pleased to be here. Funny you mentioned number 19. I had a nun in uh, at St. Mary's Grammar School in Rome, New York, who claimed she was the biggest Johnny Unitas fan in, uh, <laughs> in New York State. And she would, never, she would never pronounce his name correctly. She always called him Johnny Unitas, but she loved the guy. I'll tell you what, uh, that, that good nun is probably not the only person who mispronounced his last name because uh, it, it seems rather appropriate that a guy who was such a team guy and a superior player, some people would pronounce it unite us. You know, that's the perfect, perfect way to talk about him. And having yes. been a neighbor of his for about a decade and a half, I can tell you he was an even better man than he was a quarterback. So, uh, you know, a, a tip of the cap to John United said, for me, you know, people are always ranking the all-time great quarterbacks, and that starts all kinds of arguments. For me, I divvy it up into pre-merger and post-merger. And for me, pre-merger, United is number one. Post-merger, I'm still going to go with Joe Montana over Tom Brady, but we could spend like five episodes talking about that sort of thing. But anyway, that's just the way I do it. So let's uh, dive into the, the week 15 card. Four weeks to go. That's right. There's 18 weeks now. With the 17 game schedule, everybody with the uh, customary one bye week, and we're saying bye bye to the buys. Thank heaven. 
16 games on the weekend for the rest of the way. And we're going to do our weekly four plus one. And we're going to start off with a game that uh, naturally being a Baltimore guy, an AFC North guy, I've got my eye on this one as the Tennessee Titans go up against uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers at Heinz Field. And Pittsburgh in their 15th year under head coach Mike Tomlin, they have never had a losing season. They've been 500, but they've never had a losing season. They had a lot of trouble stopping Dalvin Cook in Minnesota in that Thursday night game, but they've had the mini buy ever since. And now they get to go up against a, a rather puzzling Tennessee team that won't have Derrick Henry to trouble you. So uh, Tennessee, uh, they got a break against Jacksonville last week, but they've still lost uh, two out of three. And it's going to be a, a bit, I think it's, it's going to take a couple of big plays from the Pittsburgh passing game. As long as Chase Claypool con- concentrates on, on catching the ball and not pointing towards the goal line and running time off the clock, I think Pittsburgh can, uh, can get it done at home in a one score game. Of course, when you're fighting for conference tiebreakers, head-to-head tiebreakers, and it's December and it's getting cold, uh, one-score games could very well be the norm. But I see Pittsburgh eking it out here. Guys, what do you think? It's, a, it's hard to get a, a, a good handle on the Steelers. Um, ben has looked very old and on his last legs in some games. And in some games, he they come back last week, he, he, he looked like, the old Ben Roethlisberger. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I agree with the logic, Joe, and what you're saying here. Uh, I, I would favor Tennessee if they had the, uh, if they had Henry uh, back, but I mean, these are two typical on the bubble teams right now, really hard to get a good handle on, you know, what the last month is going to have in store for both of them. Who needs this game more? Maybe that's not a fair question, but is there one team that needs this game more than the other? Hmm. That's that's a that's a real tough one. There, that's a good question to pose. Uh, I would say I would say both of them do. I mean, I was going to use I was going to save this for the next game, but you know, this is the time of year when you want to get hot. You don't want to just still be figuring out your identity. But then again, injuries and COVID and things like that can cause you to kind of question what kind of team you have even in early December. So, you know, both teams, both teams need it very, very much. I mean, you look at, you look at teams that are falling out of the playoff race and their fans are saying, well, let's keep losing and get a draft pick, which I don't endorse at all. But, you know, teams that are still in the chase, I would think they would want to win as many games as they can. And uh, with a, a tough game like this for both sides, this late in the schedule, uh, that's why it's going to be a close one. I, Cause Pittsburgh you know, everybody talks about the home team environment up there. Pittsburgh has a home record that's no better than just about anybody else's. So, you know, that's why I think it's going to be a real good one. And uh, I just I just think the Steelers, they have a lot of pride. They don't want a losing record under Tomlin. And I just think they eke this one out, especially with no Henry on the other side. Yeah. I, I find Mike Tomlin be fascinating to watch on the sidelines. I, I, every time I see him, he looks like he disgusted with his team even yeah. when they play well you, you know they came they come back last week and he still did not look happy yeah. and I understand that he has the bar set really high because you know they it's as Joey just pointed out they've never had a losing season under Mike Tomlin and I don't think he wants to start this year but it's uh 
And anyway, I find him to be a fascinating coach. I think he's one of the best in the league. Let's move on to the next one. And we were talking about this off air before we went on. And that is um, Buffalo and Carolina. And Buffalo, uh, like Pittsburgh, had a tremendous comeback last week when it looked like that game was completely out of hand, impossible for a comeback. And Buffalo came back, didn't win, but made it close. Uh, it seems like everything is on the shoulders of Josh Allen. Not much of a running game. Uh, defense clearly uh, came up short against the Pats at home. Uh, so, Joe, you kick it off. Uh, your thoughts on Buffalo, Carolina? Well, I'll tell you, where, I'll tell you what. Uh, Buffalo starts with a B. Carolina starts with a C. The key letter here is D. For defense, Buffalo is number one in overall D, Carolina number two. Uh, passing defense, Carolina's number one, Buffalo's number two. Allowing first downs per game, Buffalo's number one, Carolina's number four. It's going to be kind of tough for either team to be moving the ball uh, in this matchup. Uh, but it's, uh, Buffalo is at home. Uh, I think Buffalo can take uh, you know some solace in its comeback against Tampa Bay, even though it fell short. And with uh, the injuries that have decimated the Panthers, that's why I have Buffalo winning this game. Again, it's going to be a one-score game. It's going to be a battle of attrition with uh, these two incredible defenses. Buffalo allowing four points a game, fewer than Carolina. I just think Buffalo has a slight edge here. Maybe if you look at the intangibles attitudinally, Buffalo has to you know, not be too happy falling from the one seed all the way down to the seventh. I mistakenly thought they had fallen all the way off the table with last week's loss, but they still do have a playoff spot, which is saying something in the uh, topsy-turvy world of both conferences as far as fighting for those last few berths. But uh, Buffalo at home, I know they don't have uh, the kind of running game that you would need uh, uh, late in the year in the colder weather, but uh, uh, Buffalo has been more relevant. They're more used to uh, games in December that mean something, more so than Carolina in recent years, especially with uh, – McDermott having coached there for a few years, Carolina operating under a new staff. So Buffalo just gets the edge for me in a game where both teams are going to show how, uh, how desperate they are. Yeah. You have Buffalo 23, Carolina 15. Kenny, we're both uh, native New York staters. So uh, even though neither of us lives there anymore, we uh, were what quasi fans, I guess we follow the bills. Your thoughts. Well, I think one of the big questions is how effective, is Josh Allen going to play first and how effective will he be? He was in a walking boot, if I remember correctly, after the game. Um, so that's a, that's a big factor because as we were saying off air, there may be, there's few teams that depend on their quarterback as much as the bills do on Josh Allen. Um, yeah. The running game has been a big disappointment. I thought it would be more effective and the other thing is their defense, while it's still a top defense, uh, losing cornerback uh, Davius White was a big blow. He was their best cover guy. And sometimes you lose a guy like that who's a key guy and there's a trickle down. So I still think the Bills have enough to beat Carolina, but the other question is, will it be looking ahead to this Patriots game, which is going to be in Foxborough the following week? And they can't afford to, I don't think they can afford to, if they 
lose that game, they may be out of the playoffs. Harbor hopes of, of winning the AFC East. They're two games out of it now. And so if they, you know, if they win tomorrow, uh, they win on Sunday and then win in New England, they're one game out and then they've got a fighting chance. And so there's just so much on the line. But as you said, Ken, there is no room for error. Absolutely none. Joe? Yeah, I, I don't think there's any doubt about it. Uh, you know, the, the, the Bills the Bills need this one desperately. I, and I don't think they're going to – they're not in a position to say whether this is a trap game or not, even though by definition it, it probably is because, you know, a lot of people really mess up that definition. To me, it's when you're playing a weak team the week before you play a very strong one. And maybe this fits for Buffalo. But then again, you have to deal from a position of strength if you're going to fall into a trap. And right now, the Bills are not dealing from that position of strength. They're, uh, they, they, they've definitely been, been on, on a downward tick uh, ever since uh, maybe mid-October. So uh, it's, 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 not, it's not enough to just wonder about whether you're, you're getting caught in a trap or anything or any of those other intangibles. Just if Sean McDermott can just focus on, uh, have his team focus on what it has to do, then I think it should be able to win this game, albeit by a small margin. Let's uh, move on to another important game. Uh, I would assert, especially for the Bengals, uh, that Cincinnati-Denver. Joe, again, we'll start with you. Cincinnati and the Broncos. Broncos usually very, very good at home, even at the uh, the newer mile high, which changes corporate names the way most people change socks. But they still have the seventh best overall defense, 10th against the rush, 10th against the pass. There's only one other team in the league that is in the top 10 in all those categories, and it's a team we're going to be talking about in a few minutes, the Green Bay Packers. But Denver, uh, they're, they're, they're going to have to pay their bills with defense, as I'm not sure how much they're going to be able to run the ball against Cincinnati, which has the fourth best rush defense. This is one where special teams could play a role here. Denver's kickoff coverage team is allowing 35 yards of return. That's the bottom of the league. So if Cincinnati can uh, you know, influence field position, and run back kickoffs at anywhere close to that rate, uh, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and all their friends are going to be able to have a lot of confidence going downfield against the Denver Broncos. I remember when the Ravens went out there earlier this year, they didn't break that game open until late uh, because Denver was undefeated at the time, even though they'd beaten a lot of really sorry teams. The Ravens eventually, uh, they poked at the dam and eventually the dam broke. Uh, maybe Cincinnati is going to have to take the same kind of approach and maybe with a few big plays. And again, watch those kickoff returns. Maybe the dam breaks for the Bengals and they win this one. Denver is a really tough place to play historically. Uh, the, uh, I had not, I, I had forgotten that number that you just threw out there. It's the kickoff return number. That's frightening. 35 yards of kickoff return is that's uh it doesn't uh, it doesn't say a lot for Denver special teams, um, but I, I I like the I like your logic on this pick. Um, uh, you know these are two two teams in the mix, and there it, it's it's not a it's a must it's probably I mean all, from now on all bubble teams almost all these games are must wins coming down the stretch with a month to go. So, yeah, I, I, I like your logic on, uh, on this Bengals pick. And for those who follow the scores, Joe is predicting uh, Bengals 29, 
Broncos 16. And that leads us to the fourth game, uh, which is uh, Eastern Seaboard uh, contest, not very far from each other. Uh, the Eagles and Washington football team. And uh, I know you uh, pay a lot of attention to the Washington team, Joe, and you have that, you've done that over the years, as well as the Eagles. So the two teams are now battling each other. Dallas is uh, forging its way toward the, toward the uh, division championship. What you're thinking about uh, Philadelphia, Washington. Yeah, well, the Cowboys were the uh, my prohibitive pick to win the NFC East this year. I didn't think it would be close, and it, it really hasn't been, even though Dallas, uh, you know, they've had their share of injuries. But then again, who doesn't? But now Philadelphia goes to Washington, who won four games in a row when their defense uh, finally came to life and played and played to its potential after Chase Young uh, went out injured, uh, strangely enough. But that's just the way it goes sometimes in the NFL. But the, the Eagles, when it comes to a defensive front seven, have as probably as good one as any in the league. It's just that uh, offensively, they've been very inconsistent. They've had problems at wide out in recent years. Now Jalen Hurts is trying to get acclimated at being a quarterback. Although the good games he has always has Eagle fans saying, oh, well, he's better than Lamar Jackson, which I don't buy that for a minute. But just the same, uh, these are two division rivals that uh, know each other well. But Washington, uh, by attrition, by hook or by crook, uh, I think they have the, the sixth or seventh seed in the NFC right now. I don't see them holding on to it very much longer when they go up to Philly because while Taylor Heineke has been fun to watch and he's been a very pleasant surprise when he filled in from in that playoff game last year. Uh, when you have Fletcher Cox coming at you and he's <laughs> facetiously speaking almost as old as I am, he's going to come after you and that entire Philly front seven is, is they're going to do a heck of a job, and I think they win. Um, I think they'll break it open late and win by two scores, including a defensive score uh, with Philly over Washington. But in the bigger picture, uh, it, it doesn't really mean a lot. I mean, it means a lot to Eastern Seaboard football watchers. I'm sure Giants fans will be watching closely, maybe the Dallas fans too, even though Dallas has bigger fish to fry. But I like Philly at home in this one uh, with Washington uh, teasing their uh, always delusional fan base into thinking that they actually got something here, but uh, mm -hmm. they, they haven't played a complete four quarters yet. Their offense was very good early this year. Now it's fallen off. Now the defense has come to the fore, but you have to play complementary football. You have to have everything working in concert. And by complementary football, I don't mean walking up to your opponent and saying your helmet looks nice today. That's not what I mean. Washington <laughs> has not put it all together all year long. I see Philly winning. Yeah, 30 to 20 is your call. Ken, your thoughts? Yeah, um, these are two, <clears throat> two more mediocre teams in the NFC. Uh, there are 10 teams in the NFC under 500. So that last week, it's going to be a, uh, a cavalry charge. There's going to be all sorts of permutations of tiebreakers and and uh, you know who's who who has to do what and you know the potentially these are these are two more teams in that mix um yeah i'm not i'm not sold on heineke um I, he's a great story um up, you know from your bootstraps kind of guy um but there's a lot to admire as far as his uh his pluck, but he uh, he's he's not an elite quarterback by any stretch. Of course, the Eagles don't have one either. 
Um, so uh, yeah, this is probably a good pick at home. Um, the Eagles uh, winning by by double digits. Let's uh, move on to I think, <laughs> and I think others do too. The highlight game of this four day weekend. Obviously, a lot of suspense as to whether Lamar Jackson will play, but uh, it's going to be a late game, Sunday afternoon game on Fox, I believe, Joe. And it's uh, yep. hometown Ravens going up against, uh, I bounced back again from getting battered by the press, Aaron Rodgers and the, uh, and the Green Bay Packers. You know, um, and I, I don't want to steal your thunder, but for those who say, well, Joe's a homer, he's always going to pick the Ravens. If you've read him in the sports column this week, he's not picking the Ravens here, and he's going to explain why. So, Joe, the floor is yours. Uh, Green Bay coming into Baltimore. Yeah, well, if people have followed my picks throughout the years, uh, there have been many an occasion when I picked Baltimore to lose, including earlier this year against Kansas City. <laughs> you see how that one turned out. But, uh, Baltimoreans, you know, they, they function better with a chip on their shoulder. Let's put it that way. Uh, that pseudo hate, maybe you want to call it dislike because hate's too strong a word. But in the, in the, uh, in, in the present day, they uh, dislike the Pittsburgh Steelers. Back when the Baltimore Colts were fighting for playoff berths in the 70s, they were fighting the Miami Dolphins. In the 1960s, in the Western Conference, for competitive balance purposes, the Colts' big rival was the Green Bay Packers. So, here comes Green Bay again. Old-time fans remember uh, very well, you know, when guys like Bart Starr and Jim Taylor and, and Fuzzy Thurston and all them would go up against Unitas and Lenny Moore and all that. Now you have Aaron Rodgers up against uh, Mark Andrews and maybe Lamar Jackson and all his friends. So, you know, different names, different generation. And uh, this game was to have been a 1 o'clock game. They moved it to 425. Fox is the telecaster because an NFC team is visiting. That's the way it works unless it's cross-flexed, which this game is not. The number one team is calling it. Joe Buck, Troy Aikman, Aaron Andrews, Christina Pink. So it's getting the full Fox uh, Super Bowl-esque treatment. And uh, I, I'm sure Aaron Rodgers is uh, rather anxious to play the Baltimore Ravens because last time they met four years ago at Lambeau Field, he had a broken collarbone. He wasn't in the game. The Ravens not only won at Lambeau Field for the first time, they shut him out 23 nothing. But the last time these teams met in Baltimore, uh, it was 1917, late in the fourth quarter. Rodgers brings the Packers down the field. He needs one first down to seal the game, and he gets a 30-yard catch-and-run play from this tight end to seal it. So uh, it, it took a late play like that to uh, wrap it up for Green Bay. I don't know if they're going to need that this time. Uh, the Ravens have just been so battered. Almost two dozen players on injured reserve at one time or another. Green Bay has had to do without their uh, stellar tackle, David Bakhtiari, for a while. And, of course, Aaron Rodgers has had the toe problem. Showing it to the media in front of the cameras, I'm not so sure I would have done that. I mean, there's just got to be a certain amount of cooth these days that we just don't see. But that's just another story for another day. But the Ravens... Uh, you know, they're, they're getting some good play from Tyler Huntley. Tyler Huntley is one of these guys that, you know, they, they, he sees most of his playing time in preseason. The Ravens have had a lot of third and fourth string quarterbacks that get the fan base excited. Guys like uh, Bryn Renner and Josh Johnson. Oh, by the way, they signed Josh Johnson this week to back up Tyler Huntley because I'm getting the feeling that with Lamar Jackson missing the Wednesday and Thursday practices that he is not going to play, even though it's a low ankle sprain and not a high one. Now, many years ago, when the Canadian Football League had a team in Baltimore, 
I was on the beat there for two years right before the Ravens came along. And the CFL coaches all over the league, even the Baltimore coach told, the Baltimore coach told me that special teams can win you two or three games a year in the CFL. Now, I definitely believe that having witnessed it in the, in the NFL. I'm not so sure that's true, but you have a very wide disparity here in the special teams units of the Packers and Ravens. The Ravens, I think, by acclamation, have the best special teams in the league. Green Bay's is either last or next to last. They're just not very good. I know Mason Crosby's been their kicker for 15 years, but he's missed nine field goals this year. Remember Ferris Bueller? Nine times. And a few extra points as well. Justin Tucker, I don't think anybody needs to be uh, apprised of his resume. Sam Cook, the most precision, the, the most precise punter the NFL has seen in recent years. The coverage teams are very good. Devin Duvernay, the best punt returner in the league and the third best kickoff returner in the league. Lately, he's been going east and west, not north and south, but Green Bay does not cover uh, kicks well. They, they, they've given up 26 yards of kick return, about 15 yards of punt return. So the Ravens are going to have to play that field position game, as I said in uh, one of the other games, and turnovers. I mean, look at the disparity here. Green Bay plus 12, the Ravens minus 9. And if you look through Ravens history, every time they've posted a minus, they haven't even made the playoffs, which points to, uh, you know, how the heck are they leading their division right now? It's nothing short of a miracle when you consider how banged up they are. They haven't been getting a lot of takeaways either. The interception they got in Cleveland last week was their first in six games. They only have six pickoffs all year and no defensive touchdowns. I think only one time in the previous 25 seasons have the Ravens gone an entire year without a defensive touchdown. They're going to need that. They're going to need special teams play. They're going to need some fluky things to happen with a banged up team. But the NFL is the home of fluky things. That's why I do have Green Bay winning, but not by all that much. Yeah. You, um, you have, it's a close game, as you see it, four points in the Packers' favor. But, you know, I was thinking, Ken, even if uh, people uh, aren't following the stats that uh, Joe gave, just, uh, but watch last week's game with the Bears. It just, uh, no, no pun intended, it, bear, it bears out what Joey just said about, uh, you know, I looked at uh, just the stats right now. Punt returns last week for Chicago against uh, Green Bay. Average punt return, 43.7 yards. Average kickoff return, 44. Uh, and it was three punt returns and three kickoff returns. Those are huge numbers. Huge numbers. So, Joe, you... Uh, you have a point of two big points. Uh, Kenny, your thoughts. I, I, I watched the uh, first half of that uh, uh, Bears Packers game. And as I was enthused. I was engaged. It was, well, maybe we have a chance for an upset here. Not, I don't root against the Packers. I just wanted to see a, a decent game. And then the third quarter happened and Aaron Rodgers happened and yeah, I mean, yeah, the the guy the guy has a foot problem. He's uh, he's been battered in the press. Um, he believes Joe Rogan is a is a doctor, <laughs> uh, and through it all, I, I mean, the guy the guy's he's not he's one one notch below Brady, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, they just totally dominated the second half of that game. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're going to compare quarterbacks in this game, there's no contest. Um, so, 
yeah and and as far as you know i mean i i i joe made all the good points as far as uh what to look for in this game um so yeah i i i can i can see this i can see this game happening a close game a close game but uh uh the packers coming out on top and I'll tell you what, Jay, can you can you bring up a terrific point about the second half and especially the third quarter? Well, Green Bay's point differential is plus fifty six, which is it's okay, but for a first place team, I would think it would have to be better than that. But most of that is uh, taken up by the fact that the Packers in the third quarter this year, I believe, they're outscoring their opponents something like eighty eight to twenty eight or something ridiculous like that. So uh, even if the Ravens are in this game at halftime, what they do in that locker room at Green Bay at halftime, I mean. Uh, They've come out firing in the third quarters of their game. So that's something else to look for. Yeah. You know, we don't pay much attention, if any attention, to point spreads here. But given the fact that sort of the mindset is that Jackson is not going to play on Sunday, uh, the line right now is 5.5, minus 5.5 for Green Bay. You would think, even with a home game, uh, with Lamar Jackson iffy, uh, that it would be more than 5.5. But uh, uh, I may be be, uh, loading too much on that. But we'll see. And I think you're right, Joe. Uh, The Ravens tend, when their backs are against the wall, and a lot of teams are like this, when their backs are against the wall, they're much more dangerous than when they go into a game uh, that's favored. Anyway, so those are our five picks. Uh, The score specifically that Joe predicts on that is a Green Bay 27 Baltimore 23. And before we went on, on air today, we were talking about COVID. Uh, both Ken and Joe had thoughts about that. If you're paying attention at all to the news, ESPN or watching TV, any of the networks, it's one of the biggest storylines around, not just in pro football, but also in other sports, the NBA and the NHL. But Joe, uh, let me kick the ball to you and your thoughts about COVID and pro sports. Well, when I was a kid, I was a, uh, this may come as no shock to anybody who knows me. I was a very voracious reader. I mean, we're talking late sixties, early seventies, no internet, no Google, nothing like that. It was all about the world books, like encyclopedia, time life books, TV, radio. I wanted to absorb as much as I could because instinctively I knew there was a world that had existed before my sorry butt showed up and I wanted to know as much about it as possible. Now, if you grew up in that time, there were a couple of educational PSAs that had two great sayings that I think apply to any era. The first one is the more, you know, the other one is knowledge is power. So as we grow and get older and evolve, uh, we, we learn new things about old concepts and uh, we're almost two years into this pandemic. And I guess that qualifies as an old concept since we've been barraged with it just about every day since we first heard of it. So the more we know, the more we evolve, the more knowledge we can get about it, I think has really affected the way pro sports and life in general has handled it and fought it and tried to deal with it. I mean, last year, what did we hear? We heard talk about games getting rescheduled, postponed, forfeited, canceled, whatever you want. You had doom and gloom cynics talking about, oh, they're going to have to cancel the season and uh, the bubble concept wouldn't work. But the NBA and the NHL, I think, did a very good job with that, though I was skeptical as well. So we came through uh, that rather dark period uh, in relatively good shape. 
And now with the Omicron variant, we're seeing positive test cases go up all over the league. The Ravens, of course, were hit harder than any NFL team last year. About 35 guys at one time or another from training camp all the way to the end of the season had somebody on the COVID list. This year, uh, the backup center, Tristan Colon-Castillo, he's the only one that's been affected so far. Fingers crossed uh, here in Baltimore. But uh, uh, with the Browns and the Rams and a few other teams, they haven't been so lucky. But we're not hearing any talk, although the league did bring down an edict before the season that games would be forfeited. They're not, they're not messing around. They, they know they came through and dodged a bullet last year. They want to be able to play the entire schedule. And right now, at least for now, there's been no thoughts of postponing or canceling games. So the more you know, the, the more knowledge can be powerful. And uh, I think that serves the NFL and all sports and all of our lives well as we go forward. Yeah, Joe, and we were talking earlier, Kenny, that, you know, we have to, uh, this is obvious, it's obvious, but it has implications. That is, these football players are public figures. They are public figures, which means that the public pays attention to them and listens to them. Yet the fly in the ointment, and I'll kick it to you on this, uh, they're not knowledgeable, they're not experts, let's put it that way, uh, with respect to issues associated with with uh, with vaccines and viruses and public health, and yet some engage in behaviors which would suggest they are, and then others uh, speak out. So your thoughts about this uh, COVID and pro sports situation that seems to be trending toward a crisis situation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know why anyone would get medical information from a professional athlete that that just astounds me that anyone would but I totally agree that it happens and you know the there there's some responsibility there that uh, needs to be taken into account um, we were talking before um, I really don't envy a, a, a Las Vegas odds maker or those who gamble on the NFL or professional sports. Because uh, an outbreak of COVID is definitely going to affect your team's depth chart, your team's effectiveness um, on, on the upcoming game. Um, injuries have always been a factor, particularly late in the season. But this is, this is a wild card. This is a totally different thing. Um, I'll take as an example the, uh, the Rams and the Seahawks this weekend. Uh, I, followed, I, I live outside of Seattle, so I follow the Seahawks pretty closely. The Seahawks have had very few uh, COVID instances, positive tests, and the Rams, on the other hand, who they play this weekend, um, have been hit hard to the point where um, the, their locker room, their facility is closed up. Apparently, the coaches are coaching practices um, virtually. Um, uh, and I don't understand quite that how, how quite that's going to work. But um, this game, this game could hinge on who from the Rams shows up, who's, uh, who's healthy enough to play. Um, 
Yeah, obviously, that would give the Seahawks, who need to win out to even think about contending for a wild card, um, that would certainly affect them in their planning. Um, let's just say Stafford is out for this game. That, that certainly affects how uh, Pete Carroll is going to uh, formulate his game plan. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, a whole, it's a whole new ball game as far as uh, COVID is concerned and uh, what we're looking at in the last month of the season. That could, that could very much affect the playoff race. That could very much affect who the wild cards. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. I do not envy the bookmakers or the gamblers. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting because it is a whole new ball game, but one of the things that we, that you're getting at it, there's a lot of money on the line here. Uh, and we ordinarily think, well, if you're going to place a wager, then you have a situation where you, as Joe said, knowledge is power. But if, it, if it's a constantly changing uh, landscape because of COVID, it becomes really more challenging. You know, we're facing the same thing in the college bowls now. Uh, it started with a trickle and now it's a stream where um, collegians who are thinking about or have declared for the NFL draft or will declare don't want to play in their, in their bowl game. And so as a consequence, and again, it's not just an issue for fans, it's an issue for Las Vegas uh, because the lines are set and you find out later that maybe the star quarterback or the running back or the El Primo defensive player, defensive end, let's say, isn't going to play and it changes the landscape uh, significantly. So a lot to chew yeah. on, guys, a lot to chew on. Yep. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I got one final point on this. I just, you just made me think of uh, something that's not so new. And that was years ago when Charles Barkley said, I am not a role model. I'll tell you what, a lot of athletes took that to heart and said, you know what, I'm not. I think that's why sometimes they get a little careless and frivolous with their public and private behavior because they don't, they don't know or they don't care that kids are watching them. And I mean kids from single-parent homes, two-parent homes, and no-parent homes. Uh, to me, Charles Barkley could not have been more wrong. I mean, kids are going to look up to these guys no matter what they do, who they are, or what they are. So it would, especially in these... Uh, these uh, medically sensitive times, it would behoove them to watch their P's and Q's. That's right. You can't take yourself off the hook. Even if you say you are, that doesn't work that way. Well, Ken, thanks so yep. much uh, for being with us again. Always a pleasure. Um, and uh, as we always do at the end of the show, let me give you a rundown of uh, Joe's picks for the week. Uh, Pittsburgh uh, 26, Tennessee 20 was the first one. Uh, and then Buffalo, 23, Carolina, 15, uh, Cincinnati, 29, Denver, 16, uh, Philadelphia over WFT. Uh, I always have to get those initials right, because if I get them <laughs> wrong, that's a dirty word. Uh, and then finally, uh, the hometown Ravens losing to the Packers, 27, 23. And I never root against uh, Joey. But uh, I am going to root against him uh, on that pick, and I bet you he is too. So thank you, Ken. Thank you, Joe. And as we always like to say to everybody out there, be good sports, and hopefully we'll catch you next week. Take care, everyone. A tug of war, 22 nameless men grappling in the mud. They called it...